being a formal lecture, you might try to sit. If it somehow pleases the audience, I think we'll try to do it. Do you need a microphone? I mean, I don't need a microphone. You may not need the microphone. The theme of this lecture is moral crisis in Jewish America. It goes without saying the Jews in America are going through a very severe and fierce moral crisis. This moral crisis that overtakes the Jews in America is part and parcel of a very fierce moral crisis that overtakes the American general community. Rabbi Yehuda Achosit, who lived in the 12th century while Jews were confined within the walls of the ghetto, declared in Sefer Hasidim, Minag ha-Yehudim k'moi minag afilu ha-yeser tevim shebehem k'moi minag ha-goyim shebiseichom him yoshvim. The behavior pattern of Jews, even the most pious Jews, is similar to the behavior pattern of the Gentiles among whom they reside. If this was true in the 12th, in the 11th, in the 12th century, how much more true is it today when Jews and non-Jews live together and commingle with each other? It is needless for me to prove that the American Jewish community as well as the general American community is overtaken by very deep and fierce crisis. This fact of a moral crisis overtaking Jewish America is almost axiomatic. This basic fact is manifested in many areas and phases of Jewish American life as well as non-Jewish American life. All of America is being swept over by very fierce moral hurricane from a Broadway show to a back lawn party from dormitory rooms to the White House all of America is being swept over by a very fierce tempestuous moral hurricane this Moral hurricane plays havoc with our homes, precariously chopping away at our family structure, dangerously tearing away the spiritual foundation of the lives of our children. The most tragic aspect of this small hurricane that is overwhelming, overwhelmingly sweeping over us is the fact that there is a yearning on the part of many of our youngsters to become 
an integral part of this moral hurricane. And these youngsters sincerely consider it as a very refined and beautiful game of which they want to be part and they consequently call this game this small hurricane by all kinds of fancy names like numerality, situation ethics, and so forth. It is needless for me to spell out in detail the various facets of the moral hurricane that is overtaking the American Jewish community. It is important, however, for us to analyze the causes of this moral crisis and also to delve into the remedies for this moral crisis. The answer to this query as to the causes and remedies of the moral crisis that overtakes Jewish America can be discovered by analyzing the apparent conflict between two Mishnah in others, in the ethics of our fathers. In the opening sentences of the first chapter of the Mishnah in Ovos, the ethics of our fathers, we read, Shimein HaTzadik Omer, Al Shloisha Dvori Moilom Eimit, Al HaToro, Al HaVodo, Valdmilus Chasodim. Shimein HaTzadik says, Shimein the Just says, the world stands on three things, on Torah, Avoda, and Milus Chasari. On Torah learning, on religious worship, and on generosity. In the last paragraph of the same chapter, in the Ethics of Our Fathers, we have another statement, which says, Shimon, the son of Gamriel, says, and three things, the world is Kayon. I refrain momentarily to translate the word Kayon because in all English translations, Amid and Kayon are rendered into the same word. But there is a difference. Shimon, the son of Gamliel, says, and three things, the, Elam, the world is Kayon. Aladin and justice, Alemes and truth, and Al Shalom and peace. The question arises, is there a conflict, a disagreement between Shimon HaTzadik and Shimon the son of Gamliel as to the basis and the pillars of a genuinely spiritual and moral world or there is no conflict? It is obvious that if there had been a disagreement between Shimon HaTzadik and Shimon the son of Gamliel as to the identity of the pillars, the basis of a spiritual and moral world, then Rabbeinu HaKodesh would have mentioned that there is such a disagreement. In view of the fact that the Mishnah itself does not spell out any disagreement so we have to draw the unavoidable and inescapable conclusion that there is no disagreement between Shimon HaTzadik 
and Shimon, the son of Gamliel. There is no conflict between the two statements. But one statement is complementary to the other. One statement helps to explain the truth of the other. The main distinction between these two statements lies in one word. Shimon HaTzadik employs the term Oimeid, stands. On three things the world stands. Shimon, the son of Gamliel, employs the term Kayom. Kayom does not mean stand. Kayom means it's founded. There is a difference between the meaning of the term Oimeid and the meaning of the term Kayom. If you have a broken chair and you don't fix the chair, but you simply set it up so that it stands even though one leg of the chair is missing. It can stand for a moment, especially when it's not used. It can stand for a substantial time. So then the proper word would be oimit. But if you have a broken chair and then you fix the chair and you attach it to the ground so that it become, the chair becomes firmly attached to the ground in such a way that it never can topple over, then the proper word that should be used is not image, but kaya. It is in this distinction of these two terms that we get a true understanding of our sages' analyses of what is wrong with Jewish America as well as with the general American community. Shimon HaTzadik says, Al Shlei Shodvorim Ho'eil O'Meimit Al HaToro Al HaVodov Al Gnus Chasodim On three things the Torah can stand. On Torah, Torah learning, knowledge, mal knowledge, avoda, religious worship, and milus chasodim, generosity. The reason as to why Jewish America is overtaken by a very fierce moral hurricane is not because Jewish America is devoid of Torah, Torah learning. Not because Jewish America is devoid of avoda, religious worship. Not because Jewish America is devoid of Gmilus Hasodim, generosity. Jewish America is abundant in moral knowledge, in Torah learning, in religious worship, in Gmilus Hasodim especially. Jewish America excels in Gmilus Hasodim, in philanthropy, in generosity, in helping the poor and the sick and the needy. Every Jewish school in America, almost without an exception, whether it's orthodox or not orthodox, even non-religious schools like the Yiddish parrot schools are cognizant of the importance of Torah learning. Torah subjects are taught in every Jewish school in America. However, not every American school of learning emphasizes Torah learning from the point of view of MS. 
the Torah stands, the world, the moral and spiritual world stands on Torah. But a broken chair, a chair with three legs, can very well stand, even if it's not fixed. But it can only stand precariously, always ready to topple over. This is what Shimon, the son of Gamliel, says in effect to Shimon HaTzadik. He says to Shimon HaTzadik, true indeed that the world, the spiritual and moral world, stands on Torah. But there are two kinds of Torah. There is a Torah that goes hand in hand with Amos. And there is a Torah that is not coupled with Amos. As a result of the fact that Jewish America stands on Torah, so it stands. There is a Jewish America. There is a spiritual and moral world in America. A wonderful spiritual and moral world. But something else is necessary in order that it should not that Jewish America, the spiritual and moral world of Jewish America should not only be able to stand precariously but that it should be firmly fixed and established not capable of being toppled over by the numerous and multifarious circumstances The Rambam, Maimonides, at the beginning of the guide for the perplexed, mentions a very strange interpretation of the fall of man. Maimonides says that the fall of man consisted in the fact that while Odom and Chavo Adam and Eve, before they partook of the Eitzadas, the tree of knowledge, were not proficient in the realm of apparent truths, matters relating to human behavior. They were at the same time superior in the realm of necessary truths, matters in the realm of mathematics and science. After they partook of the tree of knowledge, men became elevated in the realm of Tev and Ra, good and evil, and was degraded substantially in the realm of Emes and Cheka, of true and false, the category that includes philosophy, science, and mathematics. And Maimonides, in this chapter, in the Guide for the Perplexed, with this interpretation, rebukes a certain philosopher whom Maimonides considers a cynic in saying, the philosopher said, that when one takes a glance over the account given in scripture of the creation of man and man's destiny, he must come to the unavoidable conclusion that man before his fall was on a, on a much lower level than subsequent to his fall. Before the fall of man, before Odom and Chavo violated the commandment of God not to partake of the Eitzadas, man was hardly distinguishable from the animals. Man was not even capable of distinguishing between Tev and Ra, between good and evil, as a result of man's violation of God's commandment. And as a result of man's fall, man, alleged this cynical philosopher, was elevated by becoming endowed with the faculty of reason, whereby 
he became capable of distinguishing between good and evil. Does that make sense? Said the cynical philosopher to Maimonides. And, and in order to dispose of the cynical philosopher's query and challenge of scripture's account of the fall of man, Maimonides says that there is a distinction between Tev and Ra, good and evil, and Emes and Shekhar. And Maimonides mentions an example. When a mathematician says that the whole is equal to the sum of its parts, such a statement, such a proposition is Emes. It's true. If someone will say that the whole is more than the sum of its parts, then it's false, then it's Shekhar. But in respect to apparent truths, ethical truths, a person employs the terms Tevara. To rob, to steal, is evil. To refrain from robbing, to refrain from stealing, is good, is toiv. But you couldn't say that robbing is Sheker and not robbing is Emes. The Torah does not say, on the day you partake of it, you will be superior beings. If the Torah had said, my Maimonides declares, then the allegation of the cynical philosopher would be a sound one. But the Torah does not say, it says, On the day you partake of the Itzadas, you will become superior beings and you will know the distinction between that which is good and that which is evil. That implies that before the fall of man, before Odom and Chavo partook of the Itzadas, men intellectually, as far as the category of Emerson Checker is concerned, was much superior to what he was subsequent to the fall of man. And as a result of the violation of God's commandment, man was punished, declares Maimonides. And he was degraded in the realm of Emes Veshekar, but he was elevated in the realm of Tevara. This is how Maimonides curiously and strangely disposes of the, the query and the challenge by the cynical philosopher. And some of the commentators of the Meir Nebuchim, of the Guide for the Perplexed, declare, Il Mole, I think Kreskes is the one who says it, Il Mole If Maimonides had not enunciated such a proposition, this, such a proposition, such a written record of such a, an inconceivable notion would deserve to be burned. And we understand very well as to why Crescus and the other commentators are so adamant as to Maimonides' interpretation of the fall of man. How could the Rambam or any Jewish scholar in the course of generations conceive of such a thought that the fall of man consisted in that while man, as a result of his violation of God's commandment, was was uh, elevated in the realm of ethics and morality, in the realm of Tevara, he was degraded in the realm of Emes Veshekar, in the realm of philosophy, science, and mathematics. That means that according to the Rambam, according to Maimonides, science and mathematics are superior to ethics and morality. But how could any Jew or any ethical human being, Jewish or not Jewish, conceive 
of such an inconceivable notion. Doesn't the prophet Yomio Jeremiah declare, Koyomar Adishem, Al Yisalel Chochom Bichochmosoi, Val Yisalel Oshia Bioshoi, Val Yisalel Gibea Bigurosoi, Kimbizois Yisalel Hamisalel, Haskel Viodoisini Umadishem, Kiani Adishem Uisets Doko Vechesed Umushpot Borets, Kiboile Hofatstini Umadishem. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise men glory in his wisdom. Let not the wealthy men glory in his wealth. Let not the mighty men glory in his power and his might. But let the man who glorieth glory in this, that I, the Lord, practices justice and righteousness and generosity. For it is in these that I want, save the Lord. This means that a plain common man who doesn't know how to sign his name, but he's very ethical. A, let's take a, an ignorant farmer who doesn't know how to read, who doesn't know how to write, but who is honest who leads a pure and honest life. And let's compare him to a great scientist, a Nobel Prize winner, but who, who advocated the Nazi ideology, who, from the Jewish point of view, is on a higher level. The great physicist or the ignorant farmer, obviously, in accordance with the Jewish Weltanschauung, the ignorant farmer is much superior to the outstanding scientist in accordance with the proposition enunciated by the prophet Jeremiah and another category of Tevera just as in respect to scientific and mathematical truths. Mathematician and the scientist is not motivated by questions, by considerations of Tev and Ra, good and evil. When a mathematician enunciates the mathematical axiom, and this is an ex the example that, that the Rambam in Mirenvuchi mentions, the whole is equal to the sum of parts. The mathematician is not mo motivated by any considerations of convenience, convenience for the individual, convenience for the society at large. The mathematician enunciates the proposition that the whole is equal to the sum of its parts, not more and not less, because this is the way it is. It's a necessary truth. Not because such a proposition is conducive to the happiness of man. When Newton, the great physicist, enunciated the law of universal gravitation, that every object on earth is attracted towards the center of the earth, Newton came to this conclusion when he was a young boy, and he observed the apple falling from the tree. He did not enunciate 
this scientific proposition because he felt that such a proposition, this proposition of universal gravitation is conducive to the happiness of man. Many times, unfortunately, this proposition of universal gravitation is conducive to the misery and the misfortune of man. Sometimes you read in the newspaper or you hear, it is told to you that a certain person you know was walking in the street and then from a dilapidated building a stone fell on his head and he got, this man got a concussion of the brain and he was taken to the hospital and he had to stay in the hospital for many months. How did he get the concussion of the brain? Because of Newton's law of universal gravitation. Because everything above the earth is attracted towards the center of the earth. So the law of universal gravitation many times is conducive to the misery of man, not to the happiness of man. This is what Maimonides means in his interpretation of the fall of man. Before the fall of man, prior to the fall of man, there were no two categories. One category embracing the subjects of philosophy, mathematics and science. And it, this is to be conceived from the point of view of Emes Vesheker, not the Tevera, and another category embracing ethics and morality, so-called apparent truths, Tevera, and this, and this is to be considered from another point of view. No. Prior to the fall of man, there was only one category in the human intelligence, that the matters that are called now apparent truths, ethical questions, moral questions, and the matters that are called now by men as necessary truths, math mathematical matters, scientific matters, philosophical questions, were all embraced subjectively in the mind of men prior to the fall of men in one category. And just as the mathematician today considers mathematical questions from the point of view of Emerson Checker, not from the point, not from the utilitarian point of view of the convenience of man, convenience of the individual, convenience of the collective, so to the so-called apparent truths, ethical questions, moral questions, who, prior to the fall of man, were considered exclusively from the point of view of Emerson Checker. Is it right to kill, to shed human blood, or it's wrong to kill? Not whether the shedding of human blood is conducive to human misery or to human happiness. Even if the shedding of human blood in this specific situation might be conducive to the happiness of mankind, even though as a result of the shedding of human blood we can ultimately attain a utopia in this world. The question is, is it right or is it wrong to shed human blood? Is it right or is it wrong to steal? Is it right or is it wrong to take away something that belongs to the other fellow? And if it is wrong, so regardless of the repercussions and the results. It is wrong! In the same way as the scientist considers science, laws of nature. Prior to the fall of man, man was much superior in the category of M.S. Vesheker. Everything was considered by men from the point of view of M.S. Vesheker. Even the apparent truths, even moral questions, ethical problems who are considered exclusively from the point of view of Emerson Shekhar. True or false? Not good or evil. Not whether it's conducive to human happiness or to human misery. But as a result of men's transgression of God's commandment, gradually men set up a wedge between the category of MS Shekhar embracing science and mathematics and the category of apparent truths, 
the category embracing morality and ethics. And men continued after the fall of men to, con to consider all scientific and mathematical questions from the point of view of Emes Veshekeah, from the point of view of necessary truths. But in respect to apparent truths, in respect to moral questions, ethical problems, men started to consider these from the point, from the utilitarian point of view, from the point of view of convenience, convenience for the individual, convenience for the collective. Hence, we have such a concept as situation ethics, which is so popular in modern society, in the general American community, as well as in the Jewish American community and which is recognized by so many religious leaders in the, Jew, in the American Jewish community. Situation ethics. There are no, according to the concept of situation ethics, everything depends upon the situation. There are no immutable laws of morality. There are no immutable laws of thou shalt not shed blood. There are, there are no immutable principles of morality of Lois Signei, Lois Sinov, Lois Sachmut, Lois And of course, it goes without saying that from the point of view of Tevara situation ethics, there is no absolute principle of Lois Everything depends upon the situation. If, if driving a car on Shabbos is not conducive to the convenience of men, by all means it should be avoided. But if driving a car on Shabbos is conducive in a specific situation to the convenience of men, then it should not be avoided. This is an inescapable conclusion of the premise that there has to be a wedge between so-called necessary truths and so-called apparent truths. Hence, the general impression in the general American community for many years, now on, now, no one even discusses that question of American role in Vietnam War. But for many years, the, the general impression in the general American community as well as in the Jewish American community was, by all means, we have to, to intensify the war efforts in Cambodia, in Vietnam. Why? Because Americans were defiant of the laws of morality expressed in the Decalogue, in the Aceres Adibres of Lysiotza. There isn't one American who defies the importance of all the fundamental concepts expressed in the Aceres Adibres. The Aceres Adibres constitute the foundation of civilization, law and morality in American society. But the Lysiotzach was regarded from the, point, from the utilitarian point of view, from the point of view of happiness, happiness for the individual and especially happiness for mankind. This is what Shimon, the son of Gamliel, says in effect, to Shimon Atzadik, and he says, true indeed, Shimon Atzadik, that al al without Torah knowledge, the world cannot stand, not even for one moment. If you reject the Aseres Adibres, so then the whole base of civilization falls down, collapses. But even 
if there is Torah learning, even if morality, which emanates from the Torah, for all of mankind, is recognized, so then you are sure that you will have a spiritual and moral world standing, but it will be the kind of a spiritual and moral world that is standing in the same way as a chair that is devoid of one leg. It is standing. It's standing, but it is ready, it's standing precariously, ready to topple over at any moment. To express it in succinct terms, Shimon the son of Gamliel says, True indeed, the Elam is only Torah. But on Torah alone, not coupled with MS, it can only stand precariously. But if Torah is coupled with MS, if the laws of the Torah, if morality and ethics is considered from the point of view of MS and Chekhar, then it will result not, in, not only in a standing world, but in a stable world a world that will have permanence and stability and will never topple. Then Shimon the son of Gamliel proceeds to address himself to Shimon Natsadik's statement. And he says, in effect, to Shimon HaTzadik, you say, you Shimon HaTzadik, you say that the second base upon which the spiritual and moral Jewish world stands is Avayda. No one denies that. Avoda, religious worship, is, is very important. But there are two kinds of avodah. There are two kinds of religious worship. Avodah by itself is recognized by all American Jews, except for the small minority of Jewish atheists. Except for them, avodah, religious worship, is recognized by all Jews, Orthodox and non-Orthodox, as well as by the bulk of the general community in America. Avoida or religious worship is something very sublime and can be of unlimited blessedness to men and to the world. But they, but, as I mentioned before, there are two kinds of avoida. There is one type of avodah of religious worship that is conducive to stability and permanence of the world, and there is another type of avodah of religious worship that can only enable the world to stand, but not to make it firmly fixed and established. Rabbi Shimon, the son of Gamliel, says to Shimon Atzadik, that avoda, uncoupled with shalom, with peace, at best can only result in a world that stands precariously, but not in a world that is firmly established and stable. Jewish, Jewish America is overwhelmed and burdened by a deep and tempestuous moral hurricane. But this moral hurricane that, that disturbs all the Jews in America is not due to a lack of Avedo, of religious worship in America. On the contrary, there is an abundance 
and the variety of religious worship in America. The bulk of religious worship in America is based upon the Torah, upon the Bible, except for the small Eastern denominations. The bulk of religious worship in America, Jewish or non-Jewish, is based upon the Bible, upon Scripture. The Bible is still America's bestseller. In spite of the separation of church and state, America today is primarily a religious country. The two presidential candidates, Carter and Ford, are both deeply religious individuals. Beautiful houses of worship, of every faith, Jewish as well as non-Jewish, are erected in great numbers. Millions and millions of dollars are lavishly contributed towards their erection and support. Generally speaking, however, <coughs> Avodah, religious worship in America, is uncoupled with shalom, peace, and consequently, the religious worship in America has not transformed the hearts and minds of men and women into sources of goodness and love. The avoda of religious worship in America can result only in a spiritual world that stands precariously, but not in a world that is kayon, a world that rests solidly upon its stable foundations. This thought of Reb Shimon, son of Gamliel, that only avodah religious worship that is coupled with shalom, with peace, is conducive to stability and permanence of the world, is implicit in the comment of the Torah's colony on Vayikra, Leviticus, chapter, Gimel, chapter 3, Posik 1, verse 1. And if his offering be a sacrifice of shlomim, of peace, Vashi mentions, quotes, a teraskeani. Lomo shlomim. Why is this sacrifice called shlomim? Because it is maybe Sholim Balaam. It is conducive to peace. It is called Shlomim because the sacrifice that one, that through the sacrifice that one offers, he conduces peace to the world. Only if the essential feature of Avoda is to bring peace between God and man, between man and man, and between man and oneself, then only it is conducive to the stability and the permanence of the spiritual and moral world. However, if shalom, peace, is not the essential feature of avodah, of religious worship, then the world at best can only stand precariously, ready to topple over any moment. And I would like to mention the Svasemes explanation as to the reason as to why Almighty God at the very outset of creation accepted the sacrifice of Hevel, Abel and rejected the sacrifice of Cain, of Cain. Now the Torah tells us that out of jealousy Cain killed his brother Hevel. Why was he jealous? Because Almighty God accepted the sacrifice of Hevel and rejected the sacrifice of Cain. But the Swasemes raises the question. He directs his question against Almighty God himself. Why did Almighty God show favoritism to, to Hevel? 
And why did he discriminate against Cain? Each one of the two brought the best in his possession. The Torah tells us, why did Rebbeinu Shalom reject Cain's sacrifice? So the Svasemes poignantly points out that the reason as to the favoritism shown by Almighty God towards the sacrifice offered by Hevel vis-à-vis the sacrifice offered by Cain is, is implicit in, in two words. The Torah says, the Hevel Hevi Gamhu. Hevel offered himself as a sacrifice unto God. The primary sacrifice of Hevel consisted in the purification of his heart. And the Prairie the best of his sheep, that Hevel, Hevel offered unto God was only an external symbol of an inner sacrifice which consisted of a purification, a thorough purification of his heart. Such a sacrifice is acceptable unto the Rebbeinu Shalom. And that is also implicit at the beginning of Ayikra, when the Torah starts discussing the concept of korbonis, of sacrifices. Vayikra el Moshe vaydaveir adishem elog meil meid leimeir, daveir al bnei Yisrael vomarto aleim, odom ki yachriv mikem korm ladishem, min abeimo, min aboko, min atzein tachrivu eskapana. The plain meaning of this verse, the Svasemis doesn't say that, but this, this should be considered as a corollary to the Svasemis explanation of the episode of Cain and Heaven. Speak unto the children of Israel, the Amato Aleim, and tell them, Odom ki if a person wants to offer a, an acceptable sacrifice. So the primary sacrifice consists of Mikem, Korbaladishem. The Almighty God is primarily concerned with the inner, the internal Korban. The Korban that was, that was given by Hevel, Gamhu, the purification of the heart. Odom Kiyakriv, Mikem, Korbaladishem. The Rebbeinu Shalom is primarily interested in the internal carbon, in a pure heart, in, in a purification of one's soul, in the searching of one's heart. But an inner carbon, uncoupled with an external symbol, leaves no impression. So it is necessary once the internal carbon is offered unto, unto Almighty God to present an external symbol. That's only a necessity for you, for men. But the Rebbeinu Shalom is primarily interested in the inner carbon. And this is the reason as to why Yeshayo, Isaiah, and all the other Nevi'im sometimes appear to speak disparagingly of Korbones, Chas Visholem, that the Nevin spoke disparagingly of the Korbones. But what does, what does Yishayo mean when he says, Lomeli reib zifcheichem, sovati elisizvachim? No. What Yishayo meant was that unfortunately many times the Jews in the ancient times even in the ancient times, they offered an external symbol when the, the real carbon, the internal carbon, was lacking. 
And this is the reason as to why the halacha declares that if a person offers a korban, volunteers to offer a korban before he does shuvah, so then the korban is considered as an abomination, far from being accepted by Almighty God. It is considered as a very severe sin. Zevach rishoyim teivo. And when the Talmud in Misachas Vochim discusses the halachic law that Eivo Michaperes Alese, that the A burnt offering attains atonement for the violation of the positive commandment. The Talmud queries, How do we visualize this essay that, that is atoned by Tzuenelo? If, if a Jew violated the positive commandment, he did not, he wasn't generous, he didn't help out the poor. And, and he didn't do tshuva, he didn't repent. And then he brought an eilo. How can this burnt offering attain atonement expiation for his violation of the positive commandment of, of Poseyach Tiftach and and offer a sacrifice offered by a sinful person is an abomination. We don't find we don't find such a law in regard to any other mitzvah. The Talmud never says that if a person is sinful, if he doesn't observe the Shabbos or he doesn't observe the dietary laws, then he should not be allowed to put on fill. Even if someone does not observe the Shabbos, he does not observe the dietary laws, but it is still important to be mizakehim with the mitzvah of film. Why? Because sacrifices, the category of kobonus, occupies a unique role. Because the purpose, the primary purpose of kobonus is to establish peace. Peace between men and Almighty God. Peace between men and men. And peace between men and oneself peace between the internals of man and the externals of man. And this is implicit in the Posik, in the second verse of Aikho, If a person wants to offer a sacrifice, so Mikem Korban the primary, not a few minutes, the primary, the primary sacrifice consists in the internal korban in the purification of one's heart. This is what, this is what Shimon, the son of Gamliel, says to Shimon Atzadik. To indeed, that the world is aimed on avodo, on religious worship, but there are two kinds of religious worship. There are two kinds of avodo. There is an avodo whose essential feature is, is shalom. That kind of avodah is conducive to the stability and the permanence of the world. But there is another type of avodah. There is a, an, another type of religious worship that is uncoupled with shalom. That kind of religious worship, at best, can only result in a spiritual and moral world that can stand precariously. But it can never result in a stable and permanent spiritual and moral world. And lastly, Shimon, the son of Gamliel, 
proceeds to discuss the third base upon which the world is aimed, stands, and that is Gemilus Hasodim, generosity. Obviously, generosity is a virtue that is divine. And yet, Rav Shimon ben Gamliel says, Gemilus Hasodim, generosity, devoid of being, devoid of justice. of dollars towards education but the, the American moral community is standing all right but it's not stable why? because the Gnurus Hasodim of the American Jewish community is uncoupled with Dean with justice now I'm not discussing pleasant company I don't know the guidelines I'm not aware of the guidelines that the Federation of Los Angeles resort has in, in establishing priorities. And there is a mitzvah in the Torah, Thou shalt judge favorably your neighbor. So a Jew is obligated to give the benefit of doubt to his neighbor and to, and to the various organizations, Jewish or not Jewish. However, Many communal forms in America, while they excel in Gnus Hasodim in philanthropy, and they spend millions and millions of dollars toward helping the sick and the aged and the poor, and while they allocate millions of dollars for education, but this Gnus Hasodim, unfortunately, in many towns in America, is devoid of justice of being. The priorities that they establish are not in consonance with the concept of justice. It is in consonance with the concept of Muskasodun when millions of dollars are allocated to homes for the aged, but from the point of view of justice, if it's a question of priorities, to what should we allocate more money? Towards nursing homes who get, who get, and the home for the aged, who get astronomical sums of money from the government, or toward Jewish education, who get no support from the government. So the obvious and only answer that can be given from the point of view of dealings, of course priority, has to be given to education. Education comes first, over and above everything else. But unfortunately, many federations in America, they give priority towards home for the aged, towards hospitals. And I'm the last person in the world who will underemphasize, underestimate the importance of supporting hospitals. But hospitals get support. And without the support of the communal Jewish funds, they will be able not only to stand precariously, but even to maintain a modicum of permanence and stability, whereas Jewish education, without the support of the communal funds, it will readily topple over any moment. And the Midas Hadin, the concept of justice, is lacking in the, in the determination of the amount of the allocations. Certain institutions, and I'm excluding present company because I don't know of the guidelines that are being employed by the communal fund in Los Angeles, but in many American towns. So certain institutions that have 50 students get half a million dollar allocation, and many yeshivas that have 200 students who are involved in Torah and English Hasodim get nothing. Is that in? No, it's repugnant to Dean. But the Rebbeinu Shalom is not Mikapeach Schar Kobrio, and no human being is allowed to be Mikapeach Schar Kobrio. It has to be considered that all communal funds, all the, 
The bulk of the American Jewish community excels in Yulis Hasadim. Millions and millions of dollars are given towards, towards helping the needy, the sick, and the aged, and millions of dollars are also allocated towards education. But in order to establish a permanent world, not just a spiritual and moral world that stands precariously on three legs, but a permanent and stable world, then the Gnus Hasodim of the American Jewish community should be joined to Din. Then we can hope that we'll be able to establish in America a Jewish moral world that is not only standing, but is also stable and permanent.